Welcome to True Crime 101 with Murder Friends, the podcast where three friends from three different countries talk about murder. My name's Hannah and I'm British. I'm Anna and I'm American. I'm Alana and I'm Canadian. In addition to our longer episodes, True Crime 101 talks you through key true crime cases and theories. This week, I'm going to tell you about a man called John Christie. Have either of you heard of him? No. No. He's English. Um, So I'm not going to spoil it for you, but he was a piece of shit and I'm going to tell you all about him. Um, So... (laughs) John Reginald Halliday Christie was born on the 8th of April 1899 and he grew up near Halifax in West Yorkshire. He's often known as Reg or Reginald, but we're going to call him Christie throughout this. So when he was 17, in September 1916, he enlisted in the army and was called up into service on the 12th of April 1917 as an infantryman. The following April, his regiment was sent to France and later in June that year, 1918, he was injured during a mustard gas attack and was hospitalised in Calais for a month. After this attack, he barely spoke in a whisper, but barely spoke above a whisper after this because he claimed that the mustard gas attack damaged all his vocal cords and that he was blind and mute for nearly three and a half years. But there isn't really, like, any proof of that. So, um, so the 10th of May 1920, he married Ethel Simpson in Halifax. Despite his marriage, he visited sex workers. He had an impotence problem and he'd been visiting them for like many years. Um, the following year, 1921, he takes jobs as a postman and this basically marks the beginning of his like petty crimes. So he was convicted for stealing postal orders in 1921 and served three months in prison. He was then convicted for obtaining money on false pretenses and violent conduct in 1923. He wasn't imprisoned for this, but instead he was placed on like a 12-month probation. So he moved to London in 1923, but this doesn't really stop these kind of petty crimes. Um, We have two counts of larceny, which is basically theft, and he goes back to prison in 1924 for nine months. Ethel, his wife, at this point was like, bye and she just goes back to Halifax she's had enough she's like I can't cannot deal with this <laughs> I've done my like, time she's just no like, the fuck she's like mm. she's spent, like, he spent like most of their marriage like that beginning portion of the marriage like in prison and she was just like mm. no um, so after his release from prison in, in 1929 he starts working as a lorry driver whilst living in Battersea and he has a girlfriend despite still being married he hits her over the head with a cricket bat and then he was sentenced to six months hard labour. This was in 1929. He then steals a car um, and he's imprisoned at HMP Wandsworth for three months in November 1933. In 1934, nine years after Ethel leaves, she comes back and they reconcile. Honey, no. No, no. Yeah. So so he was in prison for this bit. She fucks off. She's like, bye. Not dealing with this. He gets back out of prison after cricket, like after more, slightly more serious crimes, like assaulting someone with a cricket bat and like stealing cars. And then when he gets out of prison, she's like, oh, I'm back. And this kind of puts the end to his like petty crime spree. They move into um, the top floor flat of 10 Rillington Place in Notting Hill in London, 1937. Hey. <laughs> oh yeah you got it <laughs> yeah light bulbs on a little bit now <laughs> yeah um and then they then move into the downstairs flat in 1938 notting hill in the late 1930s is it was nothing like it is today like it was described as being a massive slum filled with multi-occupied houses just crawling with rats and rubbish it was horrible and the ground floor flat consisted of a bedroom a living room and a kitchen slash kind of scullery room the three flats that 
were in the building shared one outside toilet and then there was a little sort of outside garden as well. So World War II starts in September 1939 and Christie joins the War Reserve Police. His previous criminal convictions are kind of seemingly overlooked. They don't really check into it. And he starts having an affair with a woman called Gladys Jones up until the middle of 1943. Gladys's husband is a soldier and he, when he comes back from war, he just beats the shit out of Christie. And this is pretty much when the murders start. Wow. So in 1943, he murders Ruth First. She was... Austrian, she was 21 years old and worked as a munitions worker. She supplemented her income with sex work and this is how she met Christie. So whilst Ethel, his wife, he's reconciled with, was visiting family back in Halifax, he took Ruth home and he strangled her to death with a piece of rope. He stowed her body under the floorboards of the living room and then later buried her in the garden the next day. So they've got like a little shared garden in the back. Christy then resigns from the reserve police and starts working at a radio factory. And this is where he meets Muriel E.D. Muriel was suffering from bronchitis and Christy said that he could help cure this with a special mixture. No. Heard that one before. No. Oh, you know. So in October 1944, he invites Muriel back to his house, loads up a jar with some mm. tubes and his, quote, special mixture and gets her to start breathing in the vapours through one of these tubes. But little does Muriel know that when her back is turned, he actually attaches a different tube to the gas tap and turns it on. So she falls unconscious. <sighs> Christy then rapes her and strangles her and buries her in the garden next to the body of Ruth. God. Ugh. I know. It gets so much worse. This is like surface at the moment. I'm really sorry. Um <laughs> So two years after killing Muriel, um, it's 1946, he's digging in his garden and he unearths um, a femur of one of his victims, like a leg bone. But instead of reburying it deeper, he uses this leg bone to shore up part of his garden fence. So he uses it to like help prop up his garden fence and it remains there for seven years. Like, clearly there's no remorse there because you think if you stump, like, if you could shove those feelings deep enough and sort of forget about it and then you find a bone, you'd think you'd be like, oh, my God, what have I done? I can't believe, you know, this. all these memories are coming back. And and no, he's just like, oh, yeah, yes, I could actually use this. I mean, it's like, use what you have. Um, he At another point, his dog digs up one of their skulls. And he really, I, I, kind of like nonchalantly, places it in a bombed out house near where they live. And this is later discovered by children. And they just assume that it's the skull of someone who was in the building when it was bombed. Aww. So at this point, we're kind of like two murders deep. Things don't really get better. In Easter 1948, Timothy Evans and his pregnant wife, Beryl, move into the top floor flat of Tenrillington Place. Beryl gives birth to a baby girl, Geraldine, later that year. Timothy and Beryl had a bit of like a tempestuous relationship. They were often heard arguing by neighbours and there were a couple of incidents of physical violence between them. These arguments were a result of Beryl not being a great housekeeper or manager of the household funds and Timothy often spent his wages on alcohol. When Beryl fell pregnant again in 1949, Beryl decided to have an abortion, which Timothy kind of later agreed to. There's a bit of speculation about what happened here, but spoilers... Beryl dies. Timothy Evans first informs police in Merthyr Tydfil, which is in Wales, where his family's from, that his wife has died in unusual circumstances. He tells them that he had given her something from a bottle that would cause her to abort the baby. She died, and he placed her body in the drain in front of the house 
uh, in Riddington Place. Police searched the property and the drain that Timothy said that he'd put Beryl's body in, but it took three men to lift up the drain cover and they kind of deduced that Timothy couldn't have lifted it on his, on his own. So even though the police have searched Rillington Place, like the whole number 10, the whole thing, that leg bone is still propping up that golden fence. Oh my God. Oh, didn't notice. So Timothy changes his story and says that Christie said that he would undertake the abortion and that when he'd come home from work on the 8th of November, 1949, he found Beryl dead. Timothy said that Christie told him that he would dispose of the body, arrange for their daughter Geraldine to go and live with a childless couple, and tells Timothy that he should go back to Wales. Abortions are, like, super illegal at that point. So the police conducted a more thorough search of Rillington Place after this and found the body of Beryl in the external wash house. She'd been strangled to death, wrapped in a blanket and a tablecloth. She'd also been physically assaulted before her death. So that kind of really puts into question the whole... Christy killed her, you know, she's got these quite aggressive physical assault marks on her body. That leg bone's still propping up the garden fence, by the way. The police didn't find it. <laughs> but sadly, Beryl's body wasn't the only thing that the police find in the wash house. They find the body of baby Geraldine and a 16-week-old fetus. Um, Geraldine had been strangled too. Oh, God. So... Timothy hadn't mentioned in either of his statements to the police that Geraldine was dead or that he had killed her. Timothy initially said that he didn't know where his daughter was. Um, he didn't know that his daughter was dead, but then he later confessed to his daughter's murder. Timothy was charged with the murder of Beryl and the murder of Geraldine, and his trial for Geraldine's murder, for his daughter, started on the 11th of January 1950. The prosecution were not pursuing the charge for murder against Beryl at this stage due to conflicting confessions and statements that had been made. So during his trial, he recanted his previous confessions and pled not guilty. Timothy Evans said, and his defence team basically argued that he'd been forced into giving this confession um, and he was scared that he would have faced violence from the police if he had not done so. Christie was the star witness in this trial. He said that he had no part in either Beryl or Geraldine's death. He claimed that Timothy was violent and he had overheard rumours, like numerous arguments, and also that he was physically incapable of moving Beryl's body around. The prosecution did bring up details of Christie's previous criminal convictions, but these were paid sort of very little attention to. Rather, he is good standing being in the First World War and the position he had with the War Reserve Police kind of carried him through. It took the jury three days to convict Timothy Evans. An appeal was made but ultimately failed in February 1950 and he was sentenced to death. Hanging was still, you know, the preferred method of execution in the UK at that point. Um, on the 9th of March 1950, Timothy Evans was hanged for the murder of his daughter Geraldine at Pentonville Prison. So if you think this is bad, oh, no. guess what? It oh, gets no. worse. It gets so much worse. So Christie remained living at 10 Rillington Place with Ethel. He lost his job after Timothy Evans' trial because his employers, employers found out about his previous criminal convictions. So he gets a new job. Christie and his wife um, get new neighbours on the top floor flat of Rillington Place and there were tensions between them. Basically, the Christies were really, really racist and their new neighbours were black. Ethel accuses one of them of assaulting her at one point and then there is kind of a, a court case and an argument about who has access to the garden and it 
the Christie's win it, so they have full access to the garden now. No one else can use it. They think it was because Christie knows that he's got bodies buried in the garden and he didn't want anyone exactly. like, yeah, and, you know, that leg bone's still propping the up there. Still propping God. up that, 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 mm. that garden fence. So on the 14th of December, 1952, Christie strangles his wife, Ethel, while she's lying in bed. He made numerous false statements to his friends and neighbours about her whereabouts. He sold her engagement ring, watch and furniture. He claimed an unemployment check, having quit his job earlier that month. He forges Ethel's signature, cleans out her bank account, and he puts her body under the floorboards of the living room. And then it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) So he murders Kathleen Maloney, a sex worker. He murders Rita Nelson, who was six months pregnant and visiting her sister in London. He then murders Hectorina McLennan, and then regularly meets up with Hectorina's husband to help him search for her. Oh There's some wow, really that's gruesome. Mm, that's so sick. Yeah. There were some really, really gruesome details about what he did to them after they fell unconscious and after they had died. And I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to throw up in my mouth today. Thank you. So at this point, Christie's got like a shit ton of dead bodies, like in the house and in the garden. And he's like, I've got to leave. I've got to leave this place. So he finds someone to sublet his flat and he moves out on the 20th of March, 1953. The subletting is fraudulent and the landlord finds out pretty much the same day. He asks the people who'd moved in to move out immediately. And with the ground floor flat of Rillington Place currently empty, the landlord allows the top floor tenants, the ones that the Christie's had had issues with, and by that I mean they're racist with, to use the um, kitchen of the ground floor flat because the top floor flat didn't have a kitchen. So on the 24th of March, 1953, whilst um, Beresford Brown, one of the tenants, is fixing a wall bracket in the kitchen of the basement flat to allow him to put like a, a wireless up so he can listen to some music, he finds this concealed kitchen alcove and it's covered with wallpaper. And he, like, peels it back. And in the alcove, he finds the bodies of Christie's last three victims. So he calls oh, yeah. the police. Like, he calls the police immediately because he's like, what the fuck? Like, that's just not what you expect to find in an alcove. No. On the 31st of March, 1953, just 11 days after moving out and a week after the discovery of the bodies, a police officer challenges Christie on his identity as he stands on the embankment near Putney Bridge. He has a newspaper clipping of Timothy Evans' remand in his pocket along with some coins and he's arrested. There's an extensive search of the property and they find the bodies of Ruth and Muriel in the garden. They find that leg bone and Ethel Christie under the floorboards of the living room. Christie undergoes a trial and he's eventually convicted for the murder of his wife. He confesses to the other murders and crucially he confesses to the murder of Beryl Evans but he does not confess to the murder of Geraldine Evans. So he says, yeah, I killed Timothy's wife. I didn't kill their daughter, though. But it's kind of widely assumed that he did kill them. Like, he did kill the daughter, obviously. So he was sentenced to death and hung at Pentonville Prison on the 15th of July, 1953. That was the same place where Timothy Evans had been hung, with the same executioner. Damn. Oh, goodness. So after he'd been restrained to be hung, Christie complained that his nose itched. And the remo- at that remark, the executioner, Albert Pierpoint, said, don't worry, it won't bother you for long. Oh, oh my savage. God. I was just Fair like... Fair enough, though. Yes, I thought it was, it was Fair perfect. Enough. Yeah. 
So there's two things that um, I should mention about this case. First, Christie collected trophies from his victims. He collected clumps of pubic hair. Uh, he didn't collect them from every victim. Yeah. But during a search, they found like four clumps of pubic hair. Um, he said these came from his wife and the three victims in the kitchen alcove. But only one of the clumps was matched to Ethel Christie. No pubic hair was removed from Beryl. So if we assume that the two remaining of the three clumps came from victims in the garden, then we're left with a spare. So basically there's speculation that Christie killed someone else, but there have been no attempts to trace any further potential victims of him. So the police haven't checked any missing persons records or DNA tested it or anything like that. So we just don't know. And second... Christie's confession that he'd mar- murdered Beryl shone a huge spotlight on the trial of Timothy Evans. After a lot of toing and froing, High Court Judge Sir Daniel Braben concluded that the uncertainty in Timothy's trial would have prevented the jury from concluding that he was guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Home Secretary at the time, Roy Jenkins, um, recommended a posthumous pardon for Timothy e- Evans, and this was granted on the 18th of October 1966. This allowed Timothy's family to have his remains returned. So if you're hung in the UK, if you were hung in the UK, um, you were buried in like a prison grave. Your relatives weren't entitled to your remains. So this allowed them, so he could be reburied in a private grave, which they did. The controversy surrounding Timothy's case and other cases at the time helped secure a suspension and then further abolition of the death penalty in the UK for murder. In 2003, the Home Office awarded compensation for the miscarriage of justice in Timothy's trial to his half-sister and sister. Lord Brennan, who was the independent assessor for the Home Office, stated, The conviction and execution of Timothy Evans for the murder of his child are wrongful and a miscarriage of justice. And further stated, that There is no evidence to implicate Timothy Evans in the murder of his wife. She was probably murdered by Christie. Jeez. So that's, that's that. Rough. Seven dead women, a dead baby, one innocent man hung to death, and one absolute shitbag of a human being, John Christie. Oh, wow, I, I didn't recognize that name at all. No, but I did the Rollington Place, BBC did a series. Yes, they did. So um, 10 Rillington House was demolished in 1971, um, and I was like, I just wanted to see what it looked like. So I googled 10 Rillington Place, and it came up with that BBC yeah. thing. So it's, um, yeah, you're right, it's a, a BBC, it's kind of three-part crime drama. It's biographical, but they've obviously taken some liberties. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and did you watch Rillington Place? I, d- I don't think I watched the whole thing. I think I might, I feel like I didn't finish it, but I know it and I remember, I think um, we did start to watch it. I can't remember who's in it. Who, who Oh, it's it? um, Tim Roth. That's right, yes, yes, and Tim Roth. And Samantha Morton, Jodie Cone That's is Samantha in it. Morton. Yeah. So oh, the, I remember yeah. Samantha Morton is who I remember. Yeah, Jodie yeah. Comer is um she plays Beryl. Um, oh really? Yeah, she's she's really good in that actually. Mm. Um, she's a good actress that, actually. Yeah, that was aired in end of two thousand sixteen. Oh, so a yeah. recent one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it really good. So yeah, that's that. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize how extensive it was. I re- the pit bits I remembered were that I knew we buried some in the house and in the garden. I didn't realize he had so many victims. I thought I, it was yeah, yeah. I'd, so I'd uh, never heard uh, of it. Like I'd never heard of it. No, me neither. Yeah, and like oh, from a 
it's a bit, uh, it's a bit gross, but from like a, how do you bury a body under the floorboards for a long period of time? Or is that like, would that not be noticeable very quickly? Yeah, like you think it'd yeah. smell, yeah. Or the wall even, like how did no one smell any of this in the house? I don't know. Like, did he put stuff? I mean, you could argue to- that like, Notting Hill was really disgusting at the time. That's true. So there was probably Fair. a there was probably a overall smell. An, a a Nottingham yeah. aroma. Mm. Aroma, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Goodness. That's yeah, that's that's rough. That's a great story yeah, though. I hadn't heard him at all. Yeah. No, well done. Thanks. That good. Um so all my sources are on the website. Well, that's all we've got for today. Uh, check out our website, murderfriends.com. All the sources will be linked on there. Um, you can email us at murderfriendspod at gmail.com. Really enjoy receiving your emails, especially with your suggestions and um, what, you're, what you've been listening to and watching. Um, follow us on Instagram, murderfriendspod, and Twitter at murderfriendspd. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.